All right, everyone. Uh, well, welcome back to another episode of Empire. Uh, we're super excited to be joined by Kristen Smith, the CEO of the Blockchain Association, and uh, Rebecca Reddig. Both folks have been on Empire before. Rebecca uh, was on when... Um, Rebecca, you're, I think, chief legal at Ave now. Big congrats, chief policy Thanks. officer at Polygon. So Thank super exciting. You. Yeah. Thanks. Happy to be here. Awesome. Well, I know this week is a total shit show, for probably lack of a better word, for, for both of you. So I really appreciate you both jumping on. Um, I think I want to start just with this idea of like operation choke point that Nick laid out. I mean, to me, like I'm much more removed than you two are, but like it kind of feels like regulators are in total like hurry up and do something mode right now. Like SEC took down Kraken's US staking biz. SEC kind of sounds like considering doing the sweeping staking ban. Binance suspended dollar transfers. Uh, folks, they're going after like Paxos and BUSD and like DOJ potentially investigating Silvergate. Like all of that was announced in one week. Then there's the stuff going on this week. It just feels like all this is happening at once. And I just want to get, maybe Rebecca would love to pick on you for this first one of just like, what, like what's going on? Yeah. What's going on? Like why now? Give us the lay of the land right now. Um, I think there are a few things that happened. You know, the end of 2022 was um, pretty existential for crypto in general. I think the collapse of FTX um, took a minute to shake out. And so we are seeing both some of that shaking out right now. And because regulators uh, sort of, especially on the enforcement side, have the ability to act a little bit more quickly than policymakers, they are taking some of that action and showing that they are being aggressive on crypto, particularly in the centralized sector, which is where FTX was. Um, and I do think that the distinction is really important. And I will probably get into the crack and suit in a little bit. But like, there's a distinction the regulators are making between sort of centralized actors in the crypto space and what decentralized, more crypto native um, applications look like. Uh, and I think the other piece of it is some of this was coming down the pike for a long time. Um, we've been hearing rumblings uh, in the space on the legal and regulatory and policy side about staking as a service for a really long time. I just think FTX sort of cleared the path to move forward really quickly. Um, and there aren't voices now that say like, don't do that, don't shut it down, at least in the US. I think the interesting thing is there are developments, including on the staking side in other countries um, that like Revolut started staking as a service this week uh, or, or at the end of last week in the UK um, and things are working very differently. But we don't, you know, crypto as a general matter doesn't have a lot of outside supporters right now that says like, don't do this. I think everybody, there is a general consensus that cracking down and bringing legitimacy through either regulatory action or um, legislation is more important than ever in crypto. Yeah. Kristen, it feels like right now. Okay. So like a year ago or several months ago, the conversation was all about DeFi, deregulate the protocol, deregulate the app. Now the conversation is all, all about stable coins. What's going on in DC right now? Like why are stable coins such a big focus right now? Yeah. Well, I think it's, 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 it is, there's a lot of focus on stable coins, but it's it's more than stable coins, right? I mean, I've I've been calling it a crypto carpet bombing all week. It's like they seem to be going after you know every little single idea that anyone's ever had to to go after crypto. It, it certainly feels like there's some grand conspiracy. Um, I sort of agree with Rebecca. I think a lot of this is a factor of all right. There's kind of this. We need to like make sure we're active in the aftermath of FTX because they were sort of caught flat-footed. But it's also, you know, we're like two years in, right? Like Gary Gensler came in two years ago. It took him a while to put his people in place. It takes everyone a while to do investigations and think through things. And so I think it's kind of a confluence of these two events that has led to what seems like a rapid fire um, every day or couple times a day in some cases, there's like some some major new announcement. But I think what's really interesting is if you look at Paxos and what's going on with BUSD, um, they're definitely highlighting the BUSD product of Paxos, not the other Paxos products. And um, Circle similarly like has been public on Twitter that they have not received a Wells notice. So in the case of, of, of what's going on with Paxos and BUSD, it appears, we don't know, but it appears as if that may be more of a Binance thing than a stablecoin thing. Um, that being said, I think of all of the policy issues out there, whether it be, you know, DeFi or spot market or staking or any of these other issues, stablecoins are, stablecoin policy is the issue that has been explored more than any other issue. And this goes back to 2019 when Libra announced and for the first time, policymakers really dug into what it meant to have a stablecoin and what that might mean. And so, you know, I think from a legislative perspective, like that's the issue that, 
in theory, should be ready to go first because there have been hearings on it in the House and the Senate many different times. There's a president's working group study. That issue is is ready to go. But I think if you pull back and look at all of the different items that are happening, you know, you can look at them one by one and, you know, in isolation, like they're mostly manageable, right? In most cases, there's strategy there. There's a, an action or a reaction that the industry can take in order to push back. Um, and it's just collectively when they all come at the same time that it feels a little bit overwhelming and um, and a little bit intimidating and, and as if there is sort of this attack on crypto. And, and I do think, you know, we need to acknowledge there are people within government that are you know, very skeptical of crypto assets in general and want to limit the ability of crypto to grow. But on the flip side, if you look particularly in Congress, um, but sometimes within the agencies themselves, there are those um, in government that see the potential that want the U.S. to be competitive. And as Rebecca was saying earlier, you know, if you look at what the U.K. and Europe are doing, the U.S. is going to have no choice but to catch up at some point. It's just kind of right now, you know, they're looking a little foolish, uh, you know, having been so close with FTX and, you know, Sam was in Washington all the time. And this is, I think, a little bit of an overreaction trying to make up for the fact that they missed the biggest fraud since Bernie made off. So, so I think it's natural that the indus this industry tends to overreact and, and interpret everything kind of either really positively or really negatively when it relates to regulation. But to me, I'd like, I, I read the, so if we, if we focus on the Kraken issue of staking, like there was a very interesting response from Coinbase, and if you if you actually listen to, I listened to Gensler's kind of speech or kind of press release and video, and it seems like the issue and the common denominator and correct me here, I'd love your opinion, is this idea of custody versus non like custodial versus non custodial commingling. Like Kraken was not very transparent in how they were staking, and there were like the way that they paid it out made it seem like. It wasn't based on what the protocol was emitting based on inflation. It was more so at their discretion. And so, which is in contrast with how Coinbase is doing it, which is very segregated. You know, you can inspect it. It's, it's very siloed. It's custody. Like, you know what I mean? And so that is also very related to FTX and kind of what happened there. And so I don't know. I feel, and, and so is the BUSD stuff too, like Binance and the lack of transparency. So, I mean, I'm oversimplifying a lot of things here, but to me, it feels like it, they're reacting because they have an egg on their face with the FTX stuff. And then they're really going after, it seems to me like every kind of service provider that is custodying assets and not being very straightforward or transparent in the way that they're managing that service and the kind of disclaimers, disclosures that they should be doing for their customers, but they're not. Is that overly simplifying it? Is there more to it? I'm kind of curious to get your opinion. I don't I don't think it's actually a huge oversimplification, but I don't think I agree with the they're not making sufficient disclosures point of this. I mean, Paxos is regulated by the New York Department of Financial Services, as is BUSD. There is a Binance element to it and maybe a lack of transparency there. But Paxos is one of the most highly regulated entities in the crypto space and has taken painstaking steps to be a good actor in terms of regulatory compliance for a long time. And when you are a trust company, which is a type of bank um, or akin to a bank under New York law, um, you get regular audits from state regulators and examinations, and you have really, really stringent requirements, both on the financial side, including in, types, in terms of the types of reserve you have, and your cyber protections. It's a very, very extensive regime in New York under the Bit license. Um, and as far as Kraken goes, I mean, they're a money services business. If you read the complaint, it actually does talk extensively about what Kraken's disclosures were. But they just say, well, they weren't. There weren't enough disclosures, and they didn't comply with what the SEC would require in a, you know, investment contract-like situation. I do think your simplification on the they're going for custodial and centralized actors is right because when you do look at the Kraken complaint, there are like two very noticeable paragraphs, paragraph thirty-nine, and I think it's forty-one or forty-two, where they say this doesn't look like how you do it if you were do if you were staking by yourself. Um, and I think that, that, that Coinbase probably keyed off of the distinction in the Kraken complaint, um, and said, look, we are just providing technical services. And when you think about 
what constitutes um, efforts of others under the Howey test. It's entrepreneurial or managerial services. And so I think that's the distinction that at least the Kraken complaint is trying to make, right? Like you were doing managerial services for other people and technical services would not necessarily not, I mean, they don't say this obviously in the complaint, but I think that's the distinction they're trying to make. Hmm. Have, have either of you met with Gary Yensler or, or like senior folks at the SEC? Yeah. Oh. Kristen. Okay. Kristen's not, not in her head. So <laughs> let, let, I guess let me ask you this, Kristen, because like I just, <laughs> yes. I watch, I've watched these Gary Gensler videos and like, they honestly seem like marketing videos. Like they're like, they're, they're yeah, nice, we want to do a FOIA request for that budget. <laughs> sweeping design. I'm like, who's, you've got like a team of like video animators, like putting this video together. It's bizarre. So anyways, like I remember the Jay, Jay Clayton, when Jay Clayton was running things and like, you know, people weren't stoked, but at least companies could go into his office and have a production productive conversation and at least there were like attempts at frameworks i would say put in place um it wasn't amazing but you know now and, I, and then i remember like people were all excited about gary gensler coming into uh, into office and now i i just feel like he really has it out for crypto i mean not i feel like he really has it out for crypto and i just i was watching that video being like man like this is a guy on a mission like he really has it out for crypto and from what i've heard from companies who have gone and met with him like you don't go meet with him anymore like you could with Jay Clayton because you will like you will get a Wells notice or you will get, yeah. like it, it is not positive. And there's something that comes as a result of it. Yeah, no, I um again, I'm not I'm not a lawyer, but I, I don't recommend um, putting yourself on the radar. Of, so so yeah. like, wh like, why is that? Like, why is he it sounds like you've met, I don't know what your conversation was like with him. But like, why is why is why is he gunning for crypto right now? I just don't really get it. It's very politically viable for his supporters, right? Um, mm. Senator Warren is one of his biggest supporters. There are other um, left-leaning or liberal senators who are very powerful who he's courting um, them with. He's also not only focused on crypto. We all think about it, but he is actually taking a super expansive view um, for lots of different other types of companies. He's really been focused on ESG and, and things like that, that you wouldn't necessarily think fall within the SEC's jurisdiction. And so, yes, it feels very bad to us. It also feels very bad to mm -hmm. other industries, but it's for things that are very politically viable. Oh, like ESG falls very in that left bucket as well. So he's, I, yeah. and got it. Got it. Yeah. And I think like Elizabeth Warren, um, you know, she's historically been very anti-big tech and anti, you know, big bank, right? And so you would think she would naturally want to support this um, crypto because we're trying to challenge that, right, as an industry and as a community. And I think the reality is, though, um, if you're Elizabeth Warren and, and remember, she has her people are all throughout the financial regulators. Like she really has kind of a, a monopoly over how to go about financial services regulation. And if you're her and your people are, you know, scattered throughout federal agencies, you know, you sort of like the control you have, right? I mean, the banks um, and other institutions will do the bidding, right? They have a really good control on that right now. And so even though they don't, you know, they claim to not like these big institutions, they also have these big institutions exactly where they want them. And so when you have something like crypto that comes in that wants to upend all of that, that is threatening to sort of the power and control that they have over these institutions. And so I think, you know, again, I don't know this, but this is the only logical, um, re, you know, explanation I've heard as to why, because, you know, they, they um, you know, you know, she claims to hate Goliath, but then she also seems to hate David. And the <laughs> reality is she's got Goliath on a leash and she kind of likes it that way. So, um, so, you know, we need to Can we talk about the, can we talk about the implications of all the kind of recent actions? You know, Kraken settled, um, but did not admit guilt. Yeah. Um, and so they paid out $30 million. I've been hearing rumblings about a huge settlement, fine, finance in the up to a billion dollars. I don't know how much of that is going to. But, you know, hearing rumblings, it seems like that. You know, is this just a, a very easy way to finance the budget of the SEC? I mean, <laughs> these, are, these are huge fines. But what what I want to what I want to focus on is what are the actual implications as it relates to policy? We haven't on one side we're hearing all these enforcement actions, well notices, fines, penalties, but on the other we don't have guidance in policy. So 
What is actually the path forward that you guys see over the next six, 12 months? Because we've been all asking for clarity, but I think in the absence of clarity is kind of this vector that they can just enforce and, and get these penalties and kind of, you know, rake in fees. It's a great business model. Yeah. Rebecca probably has additional thoughts, but I think, you know, something like Kraken, right? That doesn't answer questions of policy. It answers questions of policy for a very specific set of facts and circumstances, but not for other types of models that are out there in the industry. And even then, it doesn't actually answer those questions. There was just a settlement and there is like no actual hard determination if that's really a security or not because Kraken didn't, you know, sort of admit or, or deny that, that, um, you know, they, they were involved with securities. And so, um, it, it, I think it ends up leading, leaving more, um, questions than answers out there. And we're going to see this with any enforcement action or settlement that comes down. It, it gives us a little bit of guidance, but not a whole lot of guidance on how to proceed. And I think, you know, what we really need is legislation. Um, I don't think legislation is happening in the next six months to one year. Um, it would be great if it did, but um, that is going to be a much longer process. It just takes a really long time for something comprehensive to come together. But I don't know, Rebecca may have some additional thoughts and ideas. No, I'll just put the like very lawyer gloss uh, over what Kristen said, because what she said is right. Like uh, an SEC enforcement settlement is not precedential. It gives us no clarity. I suppose if you are mirroring Kraken's um, staking program 110% to the T, you can assume that the SEC would you know, look to find you in the exact same way but you don't know and you don't know when they would do it or anything like that. I spent much of my career as a litigator and regulatory enforcement lawyer. The only thing, the only two things that give you regulatory or policy certainty are, as Kristen said, legislation, somebody who's written the laws, and then a court and a high court, by the way, interpreting what those laws are. So, you know, we have a few district court interpretations of Howie as it applies to digital assets. Those are not precedential. They don't necessarily give us um, a clear interpretation that we can rely on from the law. Sure, if you're in that district and you're, again, your facts match perfectly, maybe. But at the end of the day, the Supreme Court is the one who gives you the final interpretation of the law and the laws as they are written through Congress and our legislative branch are what give you real clarity. And as Kristen said, you know, I don't think, I do think that there are policymakers and their staffers who are working furiously to try to bring clarity um, to the situation because they, there are people who understand what the promise is here. And um, as Kristen alluded to, we were talking before this about how other jurisdictions do understand the benefits and the promise um, and are actually writing laws and putting them into place now. Um, where there will be a lot of clarity uh, about requirements for centralized crypto actors and how to think about more crypto native things and regulation there. Um, Mm. But I mean, enforcement actions. And I think back to when I was outside counsel and looking at various various enforcement actions coming down and reading them and thinking, here's what I take away from this. To this day, all I have about those enforcement actions, even from 2018 and 2019, is what I take away from it nothing else. Um, you know, and other good lawyers in the space of which there are many, you know, we may talk about them, but that's not the law. And no court has sort of stamped it and said, yes, this is the law. So, you know, I think we still have a ways to go in the U.S. for clarity. What can the industry do? Both of you are perhaps one of the most involved folks on the regulatory front, doing great effort, meeting with policymakers and other constituents. Um, what can folks do in the industry um, to push forward? And w- what are some of the areas that you guys need the most help with? PR. Um, I think we are, just to go to Kristen's watching or whoever said they were watching Gary Gunsler's video, maybe it was you, Jason, like the the PR war we are losing so badly, right? Because what happens is, you know, Chair Gensler does a settlement, he goes on Squawk Box the next second, and all normies or average people are hearing is, Crypto bad, crypto equals criminals. And so I think the most important things are we need to change that narrative. We need to do it collectively. And I sort of right before I took this job, I said like 2023 needs to be the year of the use case. Like come at me with some really good stuff. Like not, you know, this app is gonna give you 8,000% APY, 
cool. I love DeFi more than anybody. I have been doing it for years and years and years, as Santi knows. Like, but like, give me some other good use cases too. And people are building those, right? There are a lot, there's a lot of great Web3 social, Web3 gaming. Um, there's some a really good sustainability apps, but like bring the really good narratives. And I think the other thing we need is there are great American or US companies who are building and have great innovation arms. Um, a lot of them are building on Polygon, not to shill, but um, I think they need to come forward and talk about why blockchain will be good for their business too. Yeah, this is a great segue because you obviously just jumped to Polygon. We talk about Polygon extensively in this podcast as being one of the most yeah, active on the BD front um, and just, you know, really converting a lot of organizations. Um, so maybe share with us a little bit. I mean, obviously, and as it relates to kind of stable coins, um, there are questions whether PayPal is going to kind of pause their stable coin program. I mean, they, they have like over 200 people, I think, working on this initiative, working with Paxos is my understanding. Um, what does that mean for someone like, like PayPal? Um, and for the other organizations listening, what would you tell them at this moment, you know, in this moment in time, say you're in, you go in Squawk Box. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so what would you be telling them right now? Kristen was on, Kristen, you were on Squawk Box yesterday, right? Something like that. Yeah. Oh, there you go. <laughs> um, so uh, I, I mean, I'd really tell people uh, the, Companies like PayPal and others need to really give good examples of why this is a game changer for their business. Um, and one of the things I frequently do, or you know, in the last couple of weeks where I've now been at Polygon, is we are pulling together, and there are teams here that have spent a long time pulling together great use cases. We're calling them. We're making sure we're going to highlight them as we go out and really work in D.C. to educate legislative staffers, members of Congress. Um, but the other piece of it is, you know, look, remittances has been a great use case for a long time. And to think about the transaction fees and how low they are, especially on L2s and the speed of which, it, you know, these remittances can move, especially internationally, that's important. So just Real, so somebody like a PayPal and talking about why this will be better for their business is really, really important. It is. Yeah. Do you, Kristen, uh, I don't know if you saw this Hayden Adams tweet, but Hayden uh, tweeted, I think yesterday or two, earlier this week, he said, it's embarrassing to watch the US fumble the ball so hard on, on crypto. The incentive for innovators and businesses is to go abroad. It's like if 30 years ago, the government saw the internet and said, no, 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 don't do that here. And uh, Rebecca mentioned like, competitiveness not just between companies and stuff but like between nations and um i just want to get your i, I want to hear your take on like that hayden tweet and like do regulators understand that or they don't view it like that at all yeah no it's interesting so i i haven't seen the hayden tweet but i i think i know what he yeah. is getting at um it's it's different right it, it if you look at members of congress they take a much broader view right they care much more about U.S. competitiveness and trying to keep jobs here and keep the innovation here. When you look at the individual regulators, they're much more sort of focused on their mission. And I think there's a difference between the internet 30 years ago and crypto today. Um, there's a lot of misconceptions around crypto and like what it is. Like I think of crypto as being these networks, these decentralized platforms that you can build services upon and being a really sort of open, empowering thing. But if you're a regulator uh, that's focused on money laundering, you're worried about, you know, being able to trace transactions. Or if you're a regulator that's focused on like Gary Gensler on securities laws, you want to make sure that there's, you know, consumer protection. Like the, the problem we have today is crypto ends up popping into all of these different financial regulators in sort of unique ways. And they're not looking at this for at the bigger picture. They're looking at it at a very like sort of narrow level. Um, I, I also think that there are some at the Fed that really do worry that, that they're losing control of U.S. dollar dominance. And, mm -hmm. um, and there's a whole slew of policies that, that even sort of follow with that. And, you know, I like to think like, hey, if we get more USDC out there, then that's what's going to keep the dollar strong. But, you know, they're looking at it differently. Like they're used to having a lot of kind of control, a lot of, you know, have their, their you know, hands wrapped around our, you know, monetary system, our financial system. And, and this, this threatens that. And so, um, so, you know, and we were talking about this before. So it's not, it's not surprising that there's a fight, right? We are, we are, 
this industry is trying to change long established um, institutions and do it in a way that we think is going to benefit humanity at large. And, you know, that's not going to just happen on its own. Like we, we really do need to yeah. fight for that. And um, I think that, you know, the U S has, is a little bit different than, than other countries in that we do have this very fractured financial services system. We also have this unique situation with the dollar. Um, there's going to be a lot more resistance, I think, here in the U.S. than we might have anticipated otherwise, um, you know, just because it really does, you know, kind of go to the core of what a lot of people spend, you know, their time on um, in regulatory agencies here in the U.S. Yeah. And just to add to that, I, look, I do think U.S. policymakers care about what's going on overseas. There's a tweet and, a, you know, a European political article this morning about how a number of congressional staffers are actually going to Brussels and Paris, I think next week, um, to meet with EU regulators. I think that's really important because MICA, which is the Markets and Crypto Assets Regulation, which has a very comprehensive framework for centralized actors in the crypto space, including centralized stablecoin issuers, um, and has a very clear set of rules. It's like a 380-page um, piece of regulation. Uh, it, it does exempt DeFi and NFTs for anybody interested. But, you know, they're going to be meet the this U.S. delegation. And I think there are a lot of people, um, if the tweet is right, that they said, you know, someone from Senator Brown's office, people are from Senator Boozman's office, from um, uh, Patrick McHenry's office is all are all going. Um, and I think it's really important because um, there is this important comparative point, which is the EU enacted this one growing out of um, DM and Libra. They were very nervous um, too, you know, at least anecdotally, many EU member countries are aware that they lost the Web 2 race and they don't want to lose as badly to the US, right? There are very few, if any, large tech companies in the EU, except for maybe Spotify. Um, and then the last piece that's really important that we haven't talked about, but on February 1st, uh, the Treasury Department in the UK put out their consultation on crypto assets, and it really mirrors Mika very closely. So you're going to have this whole push mm -hmm. towards, you know, regulating centralized actors in a very sort of... Um, uh, sort of market integrity and all the good consumer protection types of things that you'd want to see, they're moving in that direction. So I think making sure that LAs and other staffers from Congress are going to hear about it, I think is really important and shows that they understand that there is something here. Yeah. Uh, I want to get your opinion on, so we talk about securities, something being a security, not being a security. Like, one of the arguments I've heard about whether something is deemed security is kind of the information requirements. It could be pretty expensive. Like a company going public is very expensive, lawyers, registration, all this stuff, um, and internal processes to comply. Um, if token issuers like were, were like if tokens were deemed securities in some manner, um, how like existential would that be? Like, I guess like if they are, wouldn't that allow us to like design just tokens in a way that like how what a how bad would it be and b like what would be the things that would need to happen from a information disclosure market integrity kind of standpoint do you think that i'm trying to play devil's advocate in the sense of like do you think that like if things are in a one scenario deemed securities everything other than bitcoin eth is that like really all that bad or can there be like a path forward here where all you need to do is submit certain stuff and, you know, your token contract is submitted like an Edgar SEC website for token issuers. And, you know, um, yeah, I'm curious to get your opinion on that. Or is that like, yeah, no, I, I think there's a way where you could set up a, you know, sort of disclosure regime that is workable. I think there's a couple challenges in that today, if you are, let's just say generic blockchain labs and you're issuing your blockchain token, the the disclosure requirements of the SEC will tell you about the financial health of generic blockchain labs and nothing about the characteristics of the network that the token is operating in. And that to me is like the more interesting thing that 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 the um, you know buyer of that token might be interested in. All of that information is publicly available today, right? Like it's I don't think it would be difficult to do it, but there needs to be, you know, and, and Hester first brought this up in her safe harbor proposal. We need to know the right kinds of information and the forms that the SEC have don't have the right kinds of information. So that's one problem. 
there's also this issue that there's kind of this like chicken and egg thing, right? Like if you are a registered security or whatever you would call it at the SEC, you can only, you know, be traded on an exchange and, Mm -hmm. you know, but the exchanges wouldn't want to register unless they have tokens to trade because they wouldn't be able to list anything. And so there's sort of this like, you have to provide a pathway for all of these pieces to get in place at once. So I think there's a way we could better see what's going on in the marketplace, understand the information. Um, but, you know, we do also have this problem of, you know, this generic blockchain labs might go away, right? And not be operating and contributing to the network anymore. And then you have to figure out who files the forms. Like these are all addressable issues. I think the problem we have is there has been no process to figure out how to address these issues, right? Um, you know, Gary Gensler's like, there's forms on the website, fill them out and come in and register. Like, it just doesn't work that way. Like you have, there's a lot of different issues that need to be worked through and changes that would need to be made. Um, there's probably other issues I missed, Rebecca, but those are kind of the some of the larger ones. That- yeah, I mean, I think there are two pieces to it too, which there have been lawyers who have been very vocal, um, including on Twitter about, They've tried to, let's not even say, even under Chair Gensler, let's take that concept out of it, but who have gone and taken their clients to Corp Fin and said, we want to register. And to Kristen's point, there are lots of nuanced issues and they say, we we just don't know the path. And then, you know, maybe a year later, they get a Wells notice of subpoena and and they say, well, we tried to register and enforcement says no. So, uh, you know, I think that's some of the difficulty too, because there are these pieces to it. I think the other piece that gets complicated here, and one of the reasons that people are so passionate about crypto is it, it gives access to retail in a way that, you know, traditional securities don't. Um, and we do need serious consumer protection and market integrity pieces mm-hmm. in place to any legislation as it relates to crypto assets. And I think it's possible, but as Kristen alluded to before, because we do have so many different regulators over our financial system, like in the EU and the UK, they don't have this idea of like the SEC and the CFTC and FinCEN and all these different pieces, all of whom in the US perform really important functions with respect to our financial markets. Um, but that I think has really slowed down the ability to put into a compre- put a comprehensive set of rules and regs in place here. Um, but I'm, I'm hopeful that everybody can do it. <laughs> um, um, but I do think, you know, there are nuanced issues that we do have to um, parse apart to be able to get it, uh, to get this to move forward. Hey everyone, quick break from Empire to tell you about another Blockworks channel that I know you're gonna love. I've been in crypto full-time for five years and have always struggled with one thing, which is keeping up with the next big trend. As soon as I wrap my head around MEV, we're on to app chains. As soon as I wrap my head around app chains, we're on to liquid staking derivatives. I'm sure you've been there. Blockworks Research has solved that problem for me. Our team puts research, data, governance, proposal updates, models, and more into one really easy to use platform so I can always stay ahead of the curve. If I don't understand something, for example, I just pull up the platform, I can search for an L1, I can search for a protocol, pull up the platform at blockworksresearch.com, I search the term, there's always an amazing amount of insight in a really consumable way. Uh, right now, you can subscribe to the platform. It's 2500 bucks a year or 900 bucks a quarter. Hopefully, you can uh, make more than $208 a month by using the platform. If you can't, you're probably in the wrong business. But if you're not ready to subscribe to the platform today, you can subscribe to the research team's free newsletter. Uh, you can follow their Twitter handles today. Links in the show notes. Trust me, once you do that, you're going to want to subscribe to the platform. If you are ready to, uh, to subscribe right now, I got you guys with a little hookup. Empire listeners get a 10% discount for the first 50 people who use the code Empire10. Got your back. Check out the links in the, sh- in the description to find out more. Now, let's get back to the show. Rebecca, I know you have to hop in a couple minutes so we can wrap this up, but I, I have one last question here for you, which is, um, I think the thing that one of the things that pains me the most here is that what when when we don't have a framework for regulation, you're basically just killing the free markets and uh, you don't let the best companies win. And um, I'm just curious how you handle this inside of a company. So like staking, for example, like there are probably half the staking companies are like, screw it, move forward, push forward. Like we're going to take the Uber approach and just try to like bulldoze the regulatory side of things. And then the other half of staking companies, they're probably getting advised by like their board or their investors, like, no, 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 like pause, don't move forward. We got to wait and see what the regulators do. So kind of like 
it puts things on an uneven playing field. How do you think about this internally leading policy at one of the biggest L1s out there? Like what, how does this impact your strategy? Uh, well, I have to say some of this is new. Um, and I do think that, as I alluded to before, a lot of what's going on now is really focused on um, centralized players. And there was this really helpful distinction in the cracking complaint that said, you know, what's happening in the personal staking or the crypto native side of things is very different than these centralized actors. So I think you have to focus on that. Um, I'll put on my you know, just general lawyer hat, but not not your lawyer, not anybody who's listening's <laughs> lawyer, um, and not not as Polygon's lawyer. We have our own great chief legal officer here, um, so I really just focus on the policy side. But um, to your point, you do have to figure out risk tolerance, and then you have a million other factors under that. Am I in the U.S.? If I'm not in the U.S., am I going to let U.S. people touch me? Like, if I am not in the U.S., but I'm letting U.S. persons in, what is my risk level? Do we put a reserve aside because we're worried about the SEC? If we're not big enough, do we just keep going forward? And then what size are we too big? There are just so many different nuanced issues. And as you said, like, boards are going to be weighing in. Outside people have lawyers with different risk tolerances. Um, but And you're right. It does make the playing field really um, uh, unequal. Because the other thing is, just to go back to this SEC and this registration idea, there's historically, we're talking, we're going all the way back to 2017, there would be companies who will go to the SEC and like when FinHub was established and things like that, go to FinHub and say, listen, we're looking for guidance. We're looking for help on how to set up our business. Can we do it? Is it legal? And it would be this multi-year long winding process, which may not, which could result in some clarity, but may not result in any clarity. And there'd be other companies who have the exact same business model and they would just go straight ahead, whether they were organized outside the US or not, and then they'd take market share. So it does lead to this odd arbitrage too, when you don't have regulatory clarity um, and it's almost anti-competitive on some level. Yeah. Kristen, any last words before we wrap this up? Yeah, no, listen, I mean, I think the... I hope people take away that as much as it feels really bad right now, um, that we can get through this. And I think, you know, we were talking about what, what, what do we need to make this happen and, and building and providing these like use cases that have meaningful benefits in people's lives is like the most important thing. Um, but we also have a lot of infrastructure in place. I mean, we have people like Rebecca who are focusing on policy full-time for Polygon. Like that is so awesome. Um, we have our team in the Blockchain Association. We have the DeFi Education Fund. We have Coin Center. We, we have people who are working and thinking through these issues. And every time something comes out, we have, you know, um, in many cases, a strategy in place to, to prevent that. But if something does happen that's unexpected, we can come up with a specialized strategy for pushing back and fighting back because we have procedure arguments. We have constitutional arguments. We have political tools. We have an amazing grassroots ability within the crypto space. Like there are different different pieces that we can bring together for each of these individual issues. And and the great news is there's just a lot of people that are working on this full time and that, you know, it's it's gonna be a little bit uncomfortable and we're going to have bad headlines, but you know, you're not gonna undo this innovation. We're not gonna undo the benefits mm -hmm. of crypto networks. We're not gonna yeah. undo decentralization. But yeah. um, you know, I think we'll will ultimately survive. It's just going to take, um, you know, a lot of work. And the good news is they're really awesome, smart people uh, that are working on them. And so I, you know, I, I do have a lot of hope, um, you know, even though it doesn't feel like it every time you pick up Twitter, there's like more bad news. <laughs> we'll, we'll make it. Uh, what, a, a yes or no question for both of you. Um, do companies like that you're trying to convert um, really get deterred by this news cycle or are they very much kind of slow and say, hey, listen, like regu regulation has always been like a, a looming kind of cloud of this industry. Nothing new. But do you think that the recent regulatory actions are more substantial and deterring um, for a lot of organizations that are, you know, exploring NFTs and, uh, you know, that kind of stuff um, that we've been seeing as of late? Um, I'll just speak from a more general level because I've seen lots of different pieces of the industry and I, you know, I've only been at Polygon a short time um, and I'm not on the business side there. But I, I do think it might slow down people's interest, but like nobody's shutting down their blockchain innovation arms. Do you know what I mean? Like there is this promise. And the fact that, as Kristen said, um, and I do really want to end on a hopeful note because like, yeah, the news cycle feels yeah. bad, but like all hope isn't lost and everyone is still building. And like, 
it's too big now at this point to shut down. So what we have to do is like build a proper regulatory path forward so that we can keep moving forward in a way that's productive and sort of not this anti-competitive and arbitrage type of way that Jason was alluding to. Um, so I don't, it may slow people down. They may put less money towards it until there's more regulatory clarity, but nobody's shutting down their innovation side of things as they're looking at blockchain. Yeah, I agree with Rebecca. Awesome. Well, thank you guys. I appreciate it. I know this week is crazy for you all and appreciate you both jumping on. Thank you. Thanks so much for having us. All right, man. That was a fun, uh, fun conversation. Uh, really like talking to those folks, especially at a time like this. Curious to hear, like, we didn't get too deep. Obviously, everyone's time is a little constrained. Mm -hmm. but I'm just curious what you make of either that conversation or just like the last two weeks in general and all, all this kind of regulatory crackdown. What do you make of, uh, of this right now? Yeah, look, I reached out to Rebecca because I think she's one of the smartest, most engaged um, regulatory um, people in the space I've known for such a long time. She has a really good pulse, and she just recently moved to Polygon. And so um, she has a great perspective. Look, I think it's really important as we see these things. Like People should go back to the episode that we recorded with Rebecca and Jake, and they alluded to some regulatory wave coming. This was before FTX. This terror just happened. So I think uh, the most important point uh, as people are reaching out to me over the last you know, week or so was the common thread here seems to me, or one of the more important things is regulators are think really clamping down on the lack of the, the misrepresentations and lack of disclosures and transparency of service providers. Um, really, I think in response to Celsius and FTX and BlockFi, you know, and uh, Kraken, I think, was really interesting because it's it's really that. I think the way that they paid out the rewards made it seem like it was not how the network um, was emitting rewards. It was more at their discretion. And so I think it's to me, I actually that was uh, more po I, I interpreted that as a, as more positive than negative in the sense that, you know, Yes, absolutely. We should be regulating service providers the same way that you regulate a bank. If people are taking custody of your assets, then they should be under the same level of, of scrutiny and solvency and transparency as, as your banking institution, financial services institution, to avoid a Celsius situation or FTX situation. So, um, yeah, I mean, if anything, it also furthers decentralization. Um, a lot of these actions, uh, whether intended or not, uh, I think may push a lot of people and even folks like Coinbase to allow customers and, and really just move it in a direction where people have more agency over their assets. Uh, and the other point, which I think is really important towards the end of, of uh, you know, that part of the podcast was um, the emphasis that crypto is at this point where it should ship killer products. Because if we ship killer products and the consumers wanting crypto, wants NFTs, wants gaming, then it's a bit like, as you mentioned, the Uber situation. Like, it's such a great product that it cannot be stopped. And I think in, in, that same happened with the music industry back in the 90s, you know what I mean? Like with Spotify, like Napster obviously came and rattled the industry and Spotify, you know, really made it where the record labels had really no choice and artists really had no choice. Like people wanted to consume uh, media and, and music. And, you know, it came at the really interesting confluence of like, you know, smartphones and computers and more faster internet. And so it's just sort of, a, a, I think the train is very much sailed here. People, cryptos capture the imagination of this generation. We need better products and they're coming, right? I think this is over the next year or two, it's, they're coming. Um, and so it's just a matter of, um, I think right now regulators are really responding to the FTX situation and making sure that that does not happen again. Um, and so, yeah, um, obviously I've heard rumblings of Binance, a huge settlement. Big, I'm not sure it's substantiated. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if you've heard that too, but yeah, by and large, will I think continue to have these regulatory, um, uh, parts of the podcast, maybe on a, you know, monthly basis where we bring in folks like Rebecca and Jake and others that are really knowledgeable at the, and at the forefront to keep folks informed. Yeah. I would agree with all that, except that it didn't go Napster to Spotify. Got to give credit where credit is due, and shout out Apple for the for the iTunes Store for the you can buy a right. song for a dollar. So, but I agree yes. with all of that. Um, 
I think my two takeaways from this are uh, I'm actually pretty optimistic that I'm, 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 I'm like weirdly happy to if, if we were going to crack down on anything, I'm happy that it's on CeFi and not on DeFi. Um, and like I'm I've always said that CeFi companies will end up getting regulated just like they're a bank, like a, a Coinbase. Coinbase will eventually get regulated just like they are a financial institution. And um, I don't agree with the re- like how like strong KYC AML is and stuff like that. But I think it's kind of inevitable that it goes that way. And I'm almost happy to see the focus right now on CeFi companies and not on like, yeah, I'd rather honestly have Binance get regulated than have like Uniswaps, like protocol get regulated. Yeah. So, so I'm, I'm happy to see that. I'm also happy. Uh, oh, I think that, th- I mean, I brought it up on the po- with Rebecca and Kristen, but like, I think the thing that frustrates me here is, you know, you and I both have invested in a decent number of startups. People can't move forward. Uh, like mm-hmm. whole company strategies and like product plans are just on pause right now because people are totally panicked. Mm-hmm. And that just kills, I mean, that kills innovation. It kills momentum. Uh, mm-hmm. And like crypto or no crypto. I mean, if Blockworks like couldn't go, it would just suck. Like if we had a product that we couldn't go build because we're like, well, the SEC like might come down on us. And then we look at our competitor. Competitors kind of just like m- maybe being a little more willy nilly. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of turning their nose at the regulator and their building. Well, then we'd have a lot of a lot of FOMO. It it just like kills free markets, which uh, kills innovation, yeah. kills momentum. And I think that's one of my biggest problems with it. Yeah, you brought up that point uh, in that conversation. It's it's I'm I'm missing it too. You know, I'm going to throw out a number there, um, and I think it's been consistent. Like at least like fifteen to twenty percent of all capital raised in crypto is going to paying for some type of advice that doesn't get you anywhere other than probably paralyze you and slow you down, which is lawyer fees um, and consulting fees to try to navigate this stuff. And if, if we could just like get more clarity and move forward as an industry, like think about how much more output we would have because it is consuming the mind of founders, especially now. And so, you know, yeah, hopefully they, Kristen and Rebecca both seem to think that, you know, you have these enforcement actions that are really flashy. They they make the headline, but they're not precedent and they're not legislation. Like Kraken didn't admit to guilt; they just paid a fine. Um, so, you know, I think it's because of the lack of regulatory clarity that you're getting these fines. And, you know, I think uh, I think maybe in the next election cycle. I'm hopeful that a lot of the constituent base is pro crypto. And so politicians and legislators really wake up to this idea that there needs to be clarity um, from a competitive standpoint. I think there's a lot of folks that are really pounding the table here that the U.S. is going to lose its competitive edge. So either one or two things happen. Europe really comes with uh, clarity and the U.S. adopts it as it has historically, I think with gold ETFs, like the UK, the FCA, like was very much pro ETFs and the US did not and was dragging its feet. And then they quickly adopted it as, as because the UK was kind of the sandbox. And so maybe it's how it happens here. Um, so in future episodes, uh, we'd love to get a better perspective of what's happening in other parts of the, of the Western world, like in specifically in Europe, because I think that might offer us some sort of window into what's going to happen over the next six to 12 months. Yeah. All right. I want to put the regulatory stuff in, in, in the box yeah. right now um, and, and move on yeah. to something else that happened this week, which is blur. But before we do that, I'm a little disheartened. You didn't comment on our new podcast setup. Do you see how uh, clear and in folk I'm coming in in 4k I, right I, now. I, I don't know if you can see this right now. It's I, a little I, actually too clear. I'm like looking at a lot of blemishes no, on my is... face here and I'm not happy about it, but. It's it's actually great. I'm all, it's so clear that I'm seeing through the translucent glass behind you that you have these cans of Coke. Um, so so you know, I'm happy that oh, we do it's, we it's do we just really, got our uh, really Coke high Coke. quality. That is high quality. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so high quality that I've been even actually seeing through this glass. And, and, you, know, you can yeah, see how addicted uh, people at Blockworks are to Diet Coke and caffeine. That is uh, that's your alpha of the uh, cranking yeah. out cranking out great news. You know, so there you go. Did you see? It. We just got a we we so there's an independent news org um, 
or independent auditor of media companies. It's like not really known outside the media industry, but they're called NewsGuard. And they're an independent organization okay. that audits. Like all the news outlets have audits. And we just got a, they basically are trying to figure out what is the trust and transparency of the of a media company. We just got a hundred out of a hundred. Perfect score, actually. Wow. So very stoked That's on that. Amazing. It's something that only media people care about, but big in the media world. So no, actually, I, I, <laughs> I'm pumped about that. I don't think, I, I actually think that, Maybe if you could share that, because uh, I wasn't aware of this score, but I do think that it's come up in, uh, in most crypto episode, publications, like the, like CoinDesk, the Block, Coin Telegraph, like ever, ever, everyone gets it. Um, and we, yeah, we got a. And do they submit it on like? But I've never seen it. Like, if you're if you're like, wouldn't you want to advertise this? Like, hey, look at the end of the article. Like, hey, we got. Yeah, I mean, yeah, they did a whole audit. Like, they look. We have to have like you know, we do like financial disclosures. We don't write if someone like holds an asset. We don't write about it for like three days or like it goes to a different reporter. Like, if you know, there's a lot. There's a lot of things we do behind the scenes that try to make it so that like we have everyone has full trust in in us um, in our reporting. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. Does that include podcasts? It does. I mean, I okay. push you and you and like we have to say if like we're I mean, we're about to talk about no, blur. Yeah. So I'm going to make Full you disclosure, say I'm, a, I'm an early investor. So uh, I, it, it's a good point. I do think everyone should be overly a, transparent in crypto or else it's like, yeah. why, why not? And like there's another media company out there that in crypto that like, honestly, it probably would have been fine if they were that like they took some money from someone and it probably honestly would have ended up being fine if they were just overly transparent, but because they weren't it kill kills them. So yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, awesome. Let's talk, let's talk blur. So you were a seed investor in blur um, and have been mm-hmm. kind of following the journey. I think my big question there is why does the founder call himself Pac-Man? <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to have him on the pod. And I think we are having him on the yeah. pod soon. So you we'll save that question uh, all right later yeah all right so anyways so here here's kind of the news of the week so blur if you don't know basically uh nft space got really big open like nifty gateway folks like that there's a kind of new wave of platforms that are getting built for kind of i'd call them the like advanced nft trader um they're really built for like the institutional nft markets instead of just like the JPEG collector in mind. So Blur, it's an awesome platform. Been using it for a while. Um, they just did their, uh, they just launched their token on Wednesday. So they airdropped uh, the Blur token to I think like 30, 35,000 unique wallets. Bids came in at like five bucks, dipped to like 50 cents, settled around 90 cents. I don't actually know what it's trading at right now, but last time I looked, the market cap was around 300 million. I'd probably assume it's a little lower now just because airdrops usually end up tanking a little bit. But I know a lot of mm-hmm. folks are trading at trading at around a dollar right now. I'm trading a, a buck. Okay, so that's like what 300, 350 market cap probably. Um, uh, let's see. Yeah, 350. I'm looking at some of these numbers. Uh, to be fair, 2.9 fully diluted. But, uh, 2.9 billion. Okay. Um, okay. So the volume. Okay. So NFT market volume over the last several days. Blur 60 percent. OpenSea 30 percent. That's really interesting. Users yeah. over the last seven days. Uh, Blur 65k. OpenSea 150k, so Blur's at a little over 33% um, relative to OpenSea. Uh, mm-hmm. 63% of Blur it, users. It, it skews. I mean, obviously, it captures more volume, less users, but it skews again, as you said, towards a more sophisticated, kind of higher AOV, higher transaction yeah, volume, yeah. Uh, user here. So okay, so what do you what do you make of this uh, of this airdrop of Blur? Just curious to get your thoughts in general on. I think it's a well-designed airdrop. Like, you know, I think it's been, they've done like these um, packs that they've launched, uh, you know, as more experiments, if you will. Um, I think they did two or three. Uh, Yeah. Like, you know, from the whole point of an airdrop is to reward active users that have been using the platform for a while um, and, or, or, or as a customer acquisition strategy. And, you know, I think in, in this case, it's, it's a fairly effective, um, you know, way to capture, continue to capture more mind share, um, and market share in, in the space. And so, um, yeah, you know, I think it will be really interesting, like every other airdrop program to see the retention, how many people actually sold the token, how many people actually, you know, you know, because a lot of times that's where it takes 
you know, a couple of weeks, months to determine, hey, how successful was this airdrop? Because uh, a lot of airdrop programs, you know, they're not very well constructed and they give, you know, they kind of carpet a lot of wallets and they don't really, really move the needle on the KPI front. But I think in this case, yeah, you know, they, they it's meant towards rewarding, you know, people that are quite active and have been in the NFT space, particularly, you know, trading and using the platform. And so I think it makes sense. I think I, I would, I'm going to take the other side of that, actually. I think a lot of the airdrop strategies today are like early marketing strategies from like, the, like if, okay, like replace the word airdrop with big marketing spend. And I think what we're seeing with airdrops right now is like, it's imagine a company just doing like huge marketing spend all at once and then just being like not doing it and then i'm not and then i have no more budget for marketing spend and i think what you have right now is like the way that people do it right now uh they just give away a huge like a large chunk up front and that large chunk is oftentimes given to users who farm for the airdrops like we have a lot of people at blockworks were like i mean they're 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 washing volume on blur in the in mm-hmm. in the in the last couple of months, like washing a large amount of volume, and they ended up getting these fat blur drops. Like, I mean, kudos to them, but they're not like real. Like, that's not real. That's not real volume, you know. So, um, yeah. Look, I'm not. I don't disagree with you there. Actually, yeah. I, I just uh, think they, there'll be a better. I like airdrops. They're just gonna. I think there's a. We need to innovate on airdrops to do them like marketing campaigns where it's yes. like give away one tenth of what they just gave away figure it out, see how it went, do it again in like three months and mm-hmm. then do it again. Like people run. But to, to, to be fair, they, they did these packs. They did these kind of two pilots before. That's true. That's true. Drop. And yeah. so, yeah, you're right. I mean, look, some of these airdrops are going to go down as a mo- most expensive customer acquisition, a la Super Bowl ads kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, reminiscent of the 90s and or FTX. Um, but nonetheless, some are constructed in a way where uh, – you know, one, there's room for future airdrops, and two, um, you know, you yeah. don't unlock all at once. But these, there's to be fair though, I, I guess said, that's early markets. Like, I remember the you remember 2018, 2019 crypto markets, like, there was that was like 95% of that volume was wash trading. Um, and that's, I guess, yeah. just early, early exchanges, early markets. Like, right now, I'm looking at this Hill Dobby Dune dashboard, it looks like, looks like about 43% of NFT volume right now is via wash trading. So, like looks rare is the worst. OpenSea doesn't really have wash trading, but um, mm-hmm. I guess like big story here. Outlook for OpenSea, they got they got a they got to pull it together. I would say. I mean their their market share used to be what seventy five eighty percent down to the probably like forty to fifty percent range right now, and like they gotta they gotta do something. They gotta do something big, or they gotta figure mm-hmm. it out, or they're yeah. just gonna continue losing market share. To to blur and also to you know more and more you're going to see teams just build their own marketplace like look at what's vertical vertical specific exchanges vertical, like Am- uh, Shopify will exchanges. do one Nike will do one uh, yeah. Doodle is, Doodle uh, OpenSea is like Craig it's like it's like Craigslist and eBay you know they're in they're 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 one step away from being in that camp of just you know just kind of fading into oblivion um, versus I think more I, I think they can pull it out. I, I one of my predictions no, for the don't year. Don't get me wrong. I think they do. But yeah, one of my predictions for the year is that OpenSea would lose a ton of market share. But I'm I'm optimistic on that team. I uh, I think they can pull it out. I think they just got way over their skis with a ridiculous, what, $13 billion valuation. Um, what are they trading at in the secondary right now? I haven't been offered it. But I would think like at least like a fifty percent discount to that. I would. I would. I would assume. I would assume it's like a ninety percent discount. Yeah, yeah. Look, I wouldn't. I wouldn't buy it. I think all tech is trading at least fifty four percent down right now. That was the last number I saw. So something like yeah, OpenSea got to like, be down like eighty or ninety. I'm not a buyer of OpenSea equity at two billion. Are you a buyer one, one billion? Nah, probably six no. five. Well, depends, but yeah, no. Hmm. Billy and I'd start like doing some work, pulling out the pencil. <laughs> have you been doing a lot of? Have you been doing a lot of secondaries right now? No, but anecdotally, today I was talking to someone. Uh, a lot of secondary activity is picking up, which tends to be a leading indicator. I think if you look at like 2019, a lot of secondary activity started really pick up. Um. 
And it's interesting now, uh, I'm not saying it's going to mirror this, but I do generally think that a strong secondary and activity there and pickup is indicative of future up markets or down markets for that matter, but just a catalyst. And so, yeah, a lot of, a lot of interest in some projects. Um, and I've heard a lot of funds kind of deploying on the secondary side. So Mm -hmm. yeah, I think that activity picking up is something that maybe next episode I'll try to gather more concrete data to compare. Um, for instance, some projects are now where you could have just, you would have seen activity sell at cost. Now are trading at like a 50% markup, 40% markup. And there's some projects that are just trading at pretty big premiums. Yeah. Uh, you know, you look at something like Blur and I think people try to get ahead of that and say, okay, you know, the markets, there seems to be appetite and bullishness um, fever again in the market. And so, you know, Arbitrum on the secondary is is getting a lot of like bids and interest. And so naturally kind of anticipating kind of a, an airdrop there, yeah. uh, sort of a token launch. Um, you know, th- uh, I'm not, as you know, I'm an investor in Arbitrum and I, this is not like anything that I know. It's just what I'm hearing from and seeing in these kind yeah. of. No, no, I, I, I think it's fair. I mean, threads. speaking of Arbitrum, like I feel like uh, one thing that's really heating up is like, I think the, I, I tweeted about the roll-up wars, like getting feisty. I think there's a lot of eyes right now on like Arbitrum, Starkware, ZK Sync, and Optimism. Scroll. Scroll, well, and Scroll. Not as much right now on Scroll. Because there's like, there's I think there's two camps actually. There's like the ZK folks who, who have like this insane technology mm-hmm. but haven't gone to market as quickly. Um, like I'd put scroll in that bucket, like scroll from what I know is like some of the best technology out there, but like deep, 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 deep engineers. And, uh, they haven't gone to market as quickly as some of the other folks. And so, Mm -hmm. um, but I think like, I think this, everyone talks about like L2 summer and stuff like that. I think the L3 season is actually coming faster than a lot of people realize. Um, and I think we'll, I think we'll end up seeing some interesting stuff on that front. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe we should do a uh, a full kind of panel of L two wars. Uh, I'd bring on scroll we, and optimism. We did this at permissionless. We did this at permissionless, and it was probably the most heated panel of the of the whole conference. It was it was Polygon, yeah. Arbitrum, Avalanche, and Optimism, and there were like people like getting out of their seats. So it was spicy. Yeah fireworks yeah nice. um all right other things i'm paying attention to this week were um flashbots released an article that described this new design for mev share which was a uh, which is like this permissionless and private matchmaking protocol between users and searchers i haven't dug it uh, dug into it that much but it, like for my kind of skim of it it kind of described was described to have the following benefits one is that users wallet wallets and applications uh would receive the mev their transactions create searchers would extract the MEV from transactions they otherwise wouldn't have access to. And then builders would be able to build the blocks with this like additional order flow. Um, I think it's interesting. I mean, in typical Flashbots fashion, like MEV share, it's designed to like hand power back to the users. They get to choose exactly what transaction data to hide, what to reveal through this like programmable privacy. Um, I think it's, I think it's cool. Um, I think like MEV is going to continue to be at the, at the center of a lot of these conversations, especially the app chain conversation, as people are like, do I want to control the MEV? Do I want to, like how much control do I want to have uh, over deciding where the the, the, the MEV value accrues to? Um, mm-hmm. And there was this like cryptic kind of Anatoly tweet about how dApps can capture MEV on the L1 as well. I'll admit I didn't fully understand that one, but I just think, I think that, I think that like all these things kind of converge together right like l2s l3s app chain thesis mev like it's all it's all starting to come together i think um so just i would we can link in the show notes i think people should read it because i'm not an expert on it right now but uh it looks to be something interesting yeah yeah Um, definitely um anything else sushi announced uh sushi studios which is like the the first, the, the first mm-hmm. sub DAO within Sushi, um, Jared, the like quote unquote head chef, budgeted this under the DAO. Um, I think it's pretty interesting. Um, just like the sub DAO model, 
that kind of maker made pretty big. I, th- I think it's going to continue happening. Um, mm-hmm. What else? ZK EVMs. I feel like everyone's got a ZK EVM these days. There's like, don't you feel like there's a million? Like everyone's, everyone tweets out, we have the first ZK EVM. I feel like there's like a million first ZK EVMs out there. Yeah, it's a lot of terminology. Just uh, getting to that point. But uh, look, uh, there's some really good, uh, like I'm biased here, but there, there was a really good thread by um, this guy that works at Scroll that kind of lays out all the different kind of different variations of what a CKVM is and all the different like ZK players um, and kind of parsing through kind of like a state of affairs of the different distinctions of uh, CK technology being developed uh, yeah. by the various projects. So fairly objective. So I'll we'll link that um, in the show notes for people to. This is this is a great guy to follow. Just nice. objectively kind of cranking out really good high quality content on on the zk world. Anything else this week? Um, not really. Uh, I think uh, would be really interested to, to get uh, viewers' response to this regulatory idea that we have. I think it's going to be important. Um, and. No, that's it. That's really it. Nice, man. All right. We got to get you a better camera. Yeah. yeah well, back to regular programming next Where week. Where are you? I'll be in my full setup. <laughs> uh, I'm, I was not not in my usual studio, but next week I will be. Uh, nice. And just kind of traveling a bit. You're traveling uh, the whole year. But uh, yeah, it's, 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 it was front loaded. But uh, the only other travel that I really have is permissionless so, so i've already booked that and uh, i'm really excited how, how was your trip out east uh it was great really really nice nice <laughs> good it lived up to ex- it, it lived <laughs> up to expectations good good man <laughs> i'm glad to hear that yeah <laughs> awesome yeah. yeah yeah all right folks uh, well, yeah uh, last time i was in japan was uh <laughs> was actually during devcon Os- oh yeah so osaka this was uh yeah. osaka yeah so devcon five country I think it was. Yeah, uh, six. No, six. five. Was for, yeah. Uh, oh, we have yeah. Eat Denver coming up. You're not going to Eat Denver, are you? Unfortunately, no. But uh, high quality uh, for anyone going there. Uh, we'd love to just kind of report. And if, if you're out there, maybe Boots on the Ground will bring you in, have an episode to cover. I'm going. Kind of I'm going there. All the exciting stuff. Oh, oh, there we go. I'm going. Yeah, yeah. If nice. people are going, if, if, if you guys are uh, listening to this and you're going to Eat Denver, just hit me up on tele- uh, Telegram or Twitter or something. We'd, lo- we'd love to meet you guys. So, um, yeah. I think that's a good place to wrap. If you should guys we do? Here. Should we do? Should we do Empire Poaps for uh, for these conferences? I mean, we could. I got I got uh, offered. I think it was maybe Waxman or Serotonin was like, "Do you want to do a live podcast in East Denver?" But those are always kind of oh. a shit show. So we're not. I'm not going to do it. I also couldn't couldn't yeah. do it without you, man. So. Oh <laughs> uh, well, you know. Thank you. Uh, sorry, I couldn't make it out there then. Yeah. Um, awesome stuff, guys. Well. Uh, Really, uh, really good app pod, um, and we'll be back uh, regular program next week.